What a day. What a glorious, glorious, glorious day. Tuesday, Inauguration Day. I mean, did you feel it? Did you feel the shift in our country? Did you feel the collective sigh of relief? It was like, <sighs> just everywhere. And it wasn't just relief, it was joy, joyousness, and a proud sense of the return of truth and democracy. It was a glorious, glorious day. Let's get into it. Welcome to Big Time Small Talk. I am your host, Jody Rollins, and welcome to the first day of President Joe Biden, the first full day. And I am back in my home studio with my microphone and all my fun gadgets and equipment. So the show is going to sound just as clear and crisp and beautiful as it always has, except for the last couple of weeks when I was in New Hampshire. I'm home. I'm a little jet lagged, but I am home. And what a day to travel. I have so much to get into about this that I'm just beside myself. I mean, I need to write down some notes because I want to make sure I say all the things I want to say and make sure I'm clear about them. By the way, um, little side note, in I think the last episode, whenever I listen back and I hear mistakes, I'm like, oh, why did you say that? It drives me insane. But okay, first mistake I found was I think I said electoral college votes being 206. I know it's 306. So 306 landslide elect electoral college votes went to Joe Biden. Don't know why I said the wrong number. I did. And I realized, secondly, that I was just so like fired up and there was so much going on politically and in my life. <laughs> At one point I was like, I think I said something about I'm here in New Hampshire in the, um, we're on the hill in the nature place. And I'm like, why did you say the nature place? It's a house on a hill and it's surrounded by nature. So they're my two little self-criticisms. <laughs> I don't know why I said either of those things, but I did, and let's consider them corrected. But I am back home here in my home studio. You may hear my dog tip-tap, tip-tapping around. <sighs> it's good to be home. We've got a lot to talk about today. So let's start with how I experienced this glorious day, the inauguration of Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, a day filled with amazing speeches and an incredible shift and refocusing of everything that we, everything. I mean, it's just everything that is important in this country, everything that we've been through for the last four years, I'm not even going to mention 
the other president's name today because I don't want this to be a show about negativity. I want it to be about positivity and to really just to sit back and enjoy the beginning of something new. Because we have enough time, you know, the Republicans, some of them are already picking on Joe and already, um, you know, deciding the country is going to go to hell in a handbasket before anything has happened. But I want to focus on the positives of that day. I mean, yesterday, wow. Could you guys feel it? I felt it. I just, it literally, it, it was just like, I don't know. It's like when you're thinking about your birthday when you're a little kid and you could just feel it coming and you wake up that day and you're like, it's my birthday. And it feels like the whole world is celebrating with you, even though you're a little kid and it's really just about you and your mom and your dad and, you know, your family. But it just felt like everyone was with us. Countries near and far took a sigh of relief because we are the United States. We are leaders. If we fall apart, what hope do they have? That's what my foreign friends have said. It was a glorious day. And I'm just going to continue to repeat that phrase because it was. It was. Okay, so let's start with how I experienced that day. So we were flying home from New Hampshire and we had a flight from Connecticut because that's the best airport to fly out of. And I mean, um, there's lots of great airports, but I mean, from where we were located, it's just a really convenient um, airport. And so we flew from Connecticut to Minneapolis and then Minneapolis to California, basically. And <clears throat> so my husband and I are sitting in the airport watching the beginning of the inauguration on my phone through the cable app. And, you know, we're like sharing the earbuds. He has one and I have one in, in, you know, in each ear and just watching it all begin. And, you know, seeing the past presidents come down the stairs, I'm like, oh my gosh, I miss you guys. I miss diplomacy and decency. And look, I know, I know these people are flawed. I know Bill Clinton had his shenanigans that we won't get into right now. We all know right when he did in the Oval Office, Monica Lewinsky. But it was just nice to see sort of the history of our country that is still living and able to come, because I hear Jimmy Carter was not healthy, but walking down those stairs. And then you see Michelle Obama in this beautiful, like, burgundy coat and burgundy I don't even know, top and these wide leg pants. And you see just the majesty of it all. And you see our, our, our now current president and his beautifully dressed and intelligent, articulate, kind, decent wife, Dr. Jill. That's right, doctor. I mean, just seeing all of that and then you see mixed in it, you know, Mike Pence, I don't know what he thinks he's doing. I'm like, where have you been? You've been so obedient. But it, actually, I was watching on MSNBC and Rachel Maddow put it this way. Mike Pence has been obsequiously, oh God, what did she say? Obsequiously, there was another word, but basically obedient. And 
it was this weird phrase. We started Googling and we're like, what does that actually mean? But basically like obedient and praying. That's what he's been doing. And I'm just like, really? But whatever, you're there. You're doing the right thing. You're passing the torch. You're not choosing to ignore the event and go someplace else and watch, you know, Trump in his never, never land. Oops, I said his name. Okay, I can't help it. But to just see like common decency return. And I got to tell you, as we're sitting on the plane, we flew Delta. I love Delta. And they have the little TV screens at the back of the seat, the, the plane seat in the headrest. And um, everyone was watching. I actually posted a picture about it on my Instagram. If you want to take a look, it's at Jody Rollins. And everyone, everywhere I looked, all the seats in front of me, behind me, it was just like this collective feeling of unity. I don't know these people's political beliefs. Now, maybe they're sitting there going, harumph, but they were watching. And all of the screens, I mean, there were some people watching CBS and some ABC and some CNN and, you know, some MSNBC. I didn't see any Fox. Doesn't mean there wasn't any. But it was just like this, this I don't know, a colorful, united moment as we're on this plane. And then, of course, the flight attendants break in and they're like, for those of you who don't know how to use a seatbelt, and I'm like, come on, and they cut your screens off. So we didn't get to see the actual swearing in of Joe and Kamala. I love how I'm on a first name basis with these people of Mr. Biden and Ms. VP Harris. But you know, because they were like, and, you know, first of all, and the ex the emergency exits are here. And for those of you who don't know use how to use a seatbelt, what you do is you click here. I'm like, who doesn't know how to use a seatbelt? If you are traveling and you don't know how to use a seatbelt, something's wrong with you. Like, I get it. Maybe somebody came from the darkest corner of Afghanistan and they don't understand seatbelts. But how about the rest of us get to get on with watching the president of the United States? I'm just saying. And then walk over there and show that person how to use a seatbelt. But I know it's all about legalese because maybe somebody doesn't and God forbid there's crazy turbulence and yada, yada, yada. So then they cut back into it and we take off. And just seeing all these screen, screens tuned in was amazing. So then we see Lady Gaga in that beautiful red skirt. I didn't get the bird pin. I just was like, that thing is huge. Not my thing. Didn't really care for her hairstyle or her makeup. But I mean, her voice on point. It wasn't my most favorite rendition of the national anthem. But I mean... She's got some pipes. I think we all know that. And it was beautiful. And uh, who else? Then J-Lo. I'm, I'm not saying this in order because I'm just trying to remember it. J-Lo, I didn't quite understand why she was there. We all know that she's an amazing dancer and performer. And I think she's actually a decent actress. But singer? Eh, no, not really. I just, I, a friend of mine on her Facebook page was like, this was amazing. And I was just like, mm. I was glad that they had all varieties of people, different ethnicities and races. I, I liked all of that. And I'm glad she was there for that respect. But I think there are some Latinas who could have knocked our socks off. And her singing is just, it's good. And that's it. But she looked beautiful. 
Um, and then Garth Brooks came out. If somebody can let me know what happened with the trumpeter, it was like the trumpeter was like ready to start. And then he was like ready to push on his lips on to the trumpet. And he looked like he was looking over at Garth and then he, Garth sang it a cappella. So I don't know if that was supposed to happen or what, but it just, it struck me this, this beautiful version of amazing grace. I don't care that he wore jeans. I know some people are like, you wore jeans to a black tie event. I'm like, that's him. What touched me about Garth Brooks was the fact that there are so many people who love country music that are Trump supporters. Like a lot of country music has definitely supported Trump and the Trump campaign more so than anybody else. And so just seeing him there, you know, he was interviewed and he was like, this is just about the country. It's not about a political perspective. It's just about something, you know, he said it more prophetically, but I don't remember his exact words, but I was just glad he was there. And it was just a beautiful rendition of amazing grace. And, um, and then that part where he says, let's all sing. I'm, I start singing on the plane and I have my earbuds in, you know, because you're watching it on the screen. And I'm like, I kind of hope the whole plane busts out in song, but then I don't want to take my earbuds out to listen because I'll be disappointed if the whole plane isn't busting out in song kind of don't think that they did, but maybe a few people were singing and I'm just singing along Amazing Grace. And I just thought it's so beautiful because that's what's been missing among so many other things is the grace of it all. And I was so touched. But then, of course, the show stopper. I mean, first of all, yes, Biden's speech was incredibly moving, and I believed him. I've seen him speak, and speeches aren't necessarily his strength. He tends to yell, and he has kind of a get-off-my-lawn grandpa look from time to time. And yes, his hair, his little wispy hairs were blowing in the wind. He needed a little more hairspray. But I believed him, and I believed the the note that he struck was the perfect note of positivity and hope and determination and truth and none of it was about like you know a middle finger to trump it was just about coming together as a country and i loved that part where he said i will work just as hard for people who voted for me as those who did not and essentially that we can disagree but we can stand together. So I think he struck all the right chords, just the right note, and it was a wonderful speech. But we all know the showstopper of yesterday. We carry a sea we must wade. We've braved the belly of the beast. We've learned that quiet isn't always peace in the norms and notions of what just is, isn't always just is. And yet the dawn is ours before we knew it. Somehow we do it. Somehow we've weathered and witnessed a nation that isn't broken, but simply unfinished. We, the successors of a country and a time where a skinny black girl descended from slaves and raised by a single mother can dream of becoming president only to find herself reciting 
for one. Wow. I mean, wow. Every time I hear another snippet of Miss Amanda Gorman, chills, goosebumps. There are so many amazing nuggets, as you guys know, I like to say in that speech, where she says, we are not broken, we are just unfinished. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And that's who we are in humanity. Most of us have struggled with things in our lives and we've talked about them on this show. I've talked about some of my struggles. And oftentimes we feel like we are broken. We're not broken. We're just unfinished. That particular line just struck me. And like she said, this is a young black girl raised by a single mother who had every opportunity to fail. And not only did she succeed, she succeeded with vigor. This is a girl, if you don't know, who had a speech impediment, which also our president had a speech impediment. And sometimes you can see how it'll come out. He'll stammer. But she overcame her speech impediment, not to just, you know, speak, but to speak. She's the youngest poet laureate in the history of our country, 22 years old. She took command of that podium and she, like the words flowed from her mouth, like the Colorado River flows down the mountainside. The way she moved was fluid. The way she articulated was tempered perfectly. She looked regal with her braids pulled back, glistening. Her yellow coat just ever so lightly dusting her ankles. Her small but sparkly eyes, her beautifully shiny smile, white teeth, all of it. And she communicated to a country that is not broken, just unfinished. She spoke to our souls. I have Republican Trump supporter friends who were moved by her speech. My husband cried. Don't tell him, don't tell him I told you. <laughs> I'm sitting on a plane, 40,000 feet, flying across the continent of the United States of America. And as divided as we are, and we are, in that moment, it felt safe to feel again. It felt okay to acknowledge empathy again. It felt beautiful and comfortable and familiar again to have hope. When I was a little kid and a teenager, I never thought I would see a black president. And then we had Biden. I'm sorry, Obama. I have Biden on the brain. We had Obama, the first black president. And that was a magical day. I certainly never thought I would see a black female president 
or vice president. And now we have Kamala Harris, the first black and of South Indian descent vice president of the United States. What a day. Joyous, glorious. Those are the words for that day. I never thought I would see those things. And then to have this young girl taking, she didn't ask permission in her speech. There's some, some people, the way they speak, it's like, will you allow me to say this? They sort of apologize and speak at the same time. This girl took that moment because she'd earned it. Amanda Gorman earned that moment. She stepped into her power and her strength, and she soared. No one who saw that speech will forget it. They may forget her name. They may forget her face. They may forget the exact words. But you will never forget how she made you feel. I was so proud. I was so proud because I want to share a story with you guys about, um, I don't even know how to caveat the story or how to explain it, but it has to do with what I heard yesterday as I'm flying, like I said, 37, 40,000 feet, whatever it was across the continent. It's, it's, there's something prophetic about flying across your country when one president is president and then the other becomes president. And when you land, the new one is there. We took off. Trump was still officially president. And we landed. And Biden was. It was definitely a profound moment that was not lost on me. But I want to share a story with you about what I see in this country now, what I see in Joe Biden, what I see in Kamala Harris, and everyone, Amy Klobuchar, if you don't know her, you need to know her. She's the senator from Minnesota, and she's every bit as fantastic as a Michelle Obama, as a Kamala Harris. She's incredible. She actually was the chair, I believe, of the inaugural committee. And what a wonderful event she put together. She also ran for president. And technically, I guess you could say she lost. And there's no bitterness. There's no resentment. She just has joy for the country that she loves. She's pretty special. And I hope she doesn't get lost in the shuffle. But I want to share this story with you. And I guess I'll just get to the story as soon as we come back from the break. Stay with me. Welcome back. Thank you guys for still listening and not clicking away. Oh, I've got so much to talk about. I try to keep these episodes around 45 minutes to an hour, but we may just go over today because this girl's got a lot to say. 
Look at that. I'm a poet laureate too. <laughs> nope. Um, so first of all, if you are clicking and listening to the show for the first time, thank you so much because you could be listening to anything or doing something else and you chose to tune in to Big Time Small Talk. I would hope that you will continue. If you like what you're hearing, please click subscribe. Please, please, please. It really helps because I know that when people get notifications, they listen. And that helps me be able to grow the show. And it is growing. I am excited to say it's continuing on an upward trajectory and it's seemingly growing faster. So I'm like a little scared because I don't want to get too carried away. But wow, thank you guys for tuning in. So please continue to subscribe if you haven't. It makes all the difference in how often and um, when you listen and that you listen because you'll know, uh, you'll get that notification of when each show comes out. So you won't miss a thing. If you haven't followed me on Instagram, please do at Jody Rollins. And I always ask for this because the more tools I have, the more I can bring you guys. The greater following I get, the greater reach I will get. And the greater reach I will get, the greater following I will get. And so on and so on. And when that happens, I'll have access to big people. <laughs> There's no other way to say it. I would love to say to you, hey, next week we have Amanda Gorman coming on. Well, we don't because my show is little. It's new. It's in, in its infant stages. But I know, and maybe at the risk of sounding arrogant, it's going to be big. You guys are here with me on the ride as we move forward. The show is going to grow. I'm working really hard and I believe it, right? They say you have to affirm what you believe. You have to speak it into existence, right? The law of attraction. I believe this show is going to grow and that someday I'm going to have thousands and thousands and thousands of listeners so that I can bring you amazing guests. I would love to have Amy Klobuchar on this show, but because she can take a look at my show and go, who? It's practically impossible. Now, there are some people that go, you know what, I want to help out the little guy and will come onto a show like this, but they are few and far between. And this show will never be um, interview driven, but I do want to bring amazing women, powerful women and men who share their stories, who open up I don't want to hear about the fluff and the light silliness. There are enough shows that do that, and that's great. I tune into them sometimes as well. But I want to hear about people's trials and tribulations. I want to hear about survival and passion and what you care about. And so by building this show, I can do that. And we together, you, me, both of us, we can do that. So please follow me on Instagram, even if you don't care about Instagram and you rarely check it, every follow helps at Jody Rollins, J-O-D-I-R-O-L-L-I-N-S. It looks like Rollins, but it is Rollins. And then if you have something to say, feel free to email me, bigtimesmalltalk at gmail.com. I respond to every single person who writes me. Thank you so much. And um, leave a review. I say this every episode or almost every episode and it just doesn't happen. 
people have left reviews. Thank you so much. But I saw something on a, on how to make a podcast when I was doing some research. And it's just something they say is very difficult to get people to do. So for those of you who have, thank you so much. But if you haven't, please just take three minutes out of your day, click five stars on Apple Podcasts, and then leave a review. Share with what you think this show is for the next person. Because a lot of people, when they see reviews, will go, okay, this show has value. And if they don't, they think it doesn't. So it helps grow the show. Anyway, so follow me on Instagram. I also have a YouTube channel. And feel free to write me. And I think that's all of the important stuff we have to get to. If you want to follow... Um, I should say, if you want to support the show financially, you can also go to the Anchor app and follow the instructions. And I'm not even going to tell you how to do it because most people, when a show is this small, don't do it. But if you would like to, you can do a little monthly um, financial, I guess, contribution. And if you have questions about that, you can write me as well. But I'm going to keep doing this show whether you pay me or not. Okay, so all of that is out of the way. Back to my story that I haven't started yet, but I'm about to. So when I was young, there was, and I'm talking just the broad range of little girl, teenager, early 20s, and we'll just stop there because that was when it was the strongest. And it being, there was this sense that if you spoke about racism, that it made people uncomfortable. And so that we shouldn't talk about it. It was like, oh, you know, you know, everyone's the same. I don't see color. It's, you know, I'm not racist. I'm being an average white person. So let's just not talk about it. And there was this sense of what more do you black people want? You're free. You're not slaves. I was never a slave owner. So leave me alone about this. And so it was just accepted that we had to accept what we got we black people. And if you ever brought up anything about race or institutional racism, there was this great big pushback about how that's not true. That was the dark ages. We don't have that anymore. And it was never even acknowledged. But now in 2020 and 2021, it's being acknowledged. And I got to tell you, and I, I hope that I say this the way that I want to say, because sometimes I get very emotional and I start rambling on and I'm, I listen back to the show and I'm like, why didn't I say this? I really wanted to make that point. So here we go. When you are, when you are born a black person, and obviously I can only speak for myself and the people that I've ever talked to about this subject, and you, you start living your life in the United States of America, you know that you are at a disadvantage. When you're little, you're not just picked on because you're a girl, like lots of girls get picked on when they're little girls by little boys. You're picked on a little extra. Little kids stare at you and ask their mom, why is her skin so dark? And the mom says, <laughs> come along, Johnny. You have, in my case, racist teachers. And it's hard to learn and find joy in the learning process, process when your teachers think that you 
are worthless. You have Martin Luther King, you know, discussions, and they talk about the history in our school systems, and it's uncomfortable. Because basically, and Chris Rock said it best, in the United States of America, when it comes to education about the African-American experience, it's, we were born in Africa, we became slaves, we were brought to the United States, we escaped, we were freed by Abe Lincoln, things were probably mediocre, and then Martin Luther King came along, said a speech, and everybody felt bad and made things better and everything's great. There's a few problems now, but still everything's great. That is the history of a people. That's it. My rich African ancestors are condensed to that. And it's sad. And it makes you have this sense of shame and disconnection and lack of belonging. It doesn't matter how many white friends you have or how many bosses that hire you because even if they're white and you're black, there's always this sense of don't talk about racism. It makes people feel uncomfortable. I remember they started talking about affirmative action in the 80s and there was such disdain for it. How dare you give black people a leg up because that pushes down white people. And that can be a whole nother discussion, right? A different show. But then when Black Lives Matter as a movement came along, it was as if there was no way for certain, not all, but for certain white people to acknowledge that there's and inequity. And if you say black lives matter, then that meant that white lives don't. That somehow there's only enough matter in our country for one race to matter. And that the subservient or the minority races, you should be happy with what you have. Stop blaming me. And that's what it's been like for my entire life. You couldn't really talk about race in mixed company. It was like, you don't talk about religion, you don't talk about race, and you don't talk about politics. Politics, let's just break that down for a second. Politics is something that we can believe in. We can choose to be on the right. We can choose to be on the left. We can choose to be in the center. That's not who we are. Let's talk about religion. You can choose to be Jewish, you can choose to be Christian, Buddhist, Hindu, whatever. That's not who you are. Now, don't get me wrong, your religion may be very, very important to you, but you can change it. You can change your political views and beliefs. You can change your religious views and beliefs, but you cannot change your skin color. And so the idea that race is put into that little category of don't talk about race, don't talk about politics, don't talk about religion, tells us all we need to know. Race is about humanity. And if we all succeed, we all succeed. And what I find to be true is that, and this is where I, I want to be careful and make sure that I say this very clearly. There are good, decent white people out there, maybe you guys listening right now, 
who just don't care about Black Lives Matter as a movement. You're trying to pay your bills, raise your kids, deal with your elderly parents, put food on the table, have your friends and relationships. You're trying to live your life. And dealing with Black issues is not your fault. So why should it be something you concern yourself with? Millions of white people think that. They're like, I'm not racist. Why do I need to hear this? I didn't shoot anybody. I didn't do anything. I have three black people at my company that I hired. What is the fucking problem? Pardon my French. That's what millions of white people think. Stop drilling this Black Lives Matter stuff into my head. I don't need it. I didn't do it. I wasn't your slave owner. But what's missing is the idea that it's about humanity. That if we are all lifted as human beings, whatever our race, creed, color, then we all succeed. If there was less systemic racism, there would be less poverty. And if there was less poverty, there would be less crime. And if there's less crime, there'd be less people doing drugs and less gang members and less and less and less. And so we as a whole, as a nation, would be more successful and a healthier nation. Racism is like a, a tumor, a cancerous tumor. And if you don't attend to it, it just grows and it festers and it affects you. And sometimes you feel it and sometimes you don't. But if you don't acknowledge it, it continues to fester and cause pain and unrest. And I say all of this because I've heard so many Trump supporters and even, you know, left-leaning Democrats say, what are you talking about when you say there's systemic racism? I mean, if these black guys weren't committing crimes, they wouldn't be shot. And again, that's a whole nother show. These cops that shoot people, they become judge, jury, and executioner. And that's not what this country was built on. We are built on a country that is a country of rule of law, right? The rule of law. So we won't even get into all of that. But systemic racism, I want to give you an example. And this is one that I myself just learned about probably, I don't know, a few weeks ago. And I think it perfectly explains it. Because I have black friends who believe it exists, but they can't explain it. And if you'd asked me six weeks ago, I don't think I could have explained it. I'd be like, well, it's there. And you can look at this. Here we go. So. In Georgia, the runoff election. Remember our Senate seats? Woohoo! We flipped those two seats. Now we have the majority of the United States Senate and we have the majority of the United States House. Big deal, right? We all know about that. Now, in Georgia, the reason they had a runoff in the first place is because nobody reached 50%. And I know I'm going to mess up some of this, but the facts at their core are true. So hopefully I can articulate it so that it's nice and clear. Years and years and years ago, I don't know if we're talking the 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, or 60s in the state of Georgia, 
there was a large black population, obviously in and around Atlanta. And so when they would have their political races, generally speaking, it was white people. And for example, they may have five white people who run for office. And then obviously whoever gets the most votes would win. It would be between the final two, right? So the final two people run against each other and whoever wins, wins. But what started to happen in Georgia is that black people started to run for political office. And so say that again, you have five people running for political office and one of them was black. And I'll try to be as clear as possible because I know I get lost in my thoughts with this. So you have the five people in Georgia running for political office. One of them is black. And so all of the black community would rally around this one black politician. But then the four other white politicians, their votes would be split because it would be some conservative, some liberal, some this, some that. And so you would have a black person getting the majority of the votes. So say, per, say for example, they got 30% of the electorate, electorate, can I say it? Electorate. So they would win. And the white people of Georgia, the powers that be, didn't like it. And, and to back up, they would get, the black person would get 30% and the other four of the five would split the rest, the, the other 70%. So the black person would win because they got the most votes of anyone. So I hope you're following me here. I'm, I'm, trying, I'm doing my best to explain it. So then the white powers that be were angry because this was a way that black people could win politically and start making changes, have control, and they didn't like it and they were afraid. So they created the runoff which said, if you don't get 50% of the vote, we have to have a runoff. So go back to my five people example. The black person would get 30% and the leading white person, let's just say, and I'm making up these numbers, would get 12. So it was obvious that the black person won by a landslide, but neither got 50%. So now you have the runoff. You have the black person who had 30 and the white person who, what did I say, had 12. Now they go head to head and all of the white people would rally around that one white person and all of the black people would rally around that one black person, but there were more white people. And so the black person could never win. And so that kept black people out of politics for decades. That, my friend, is systemic racism. They created rules and laws and regulations to make sure that even when we had the power, we had the intellect, we had the wherewithal, we had the community, we had the numbers, they legislated around us to make sure we could not win. That is systemic racism. And here we are in the year 2021, and that runoff still exists. That is one example of systemic racism. And if 
I didn't explain it clearly. I apologize. I did the best of my ability. If you have questions, you can Google it. If you want to ask me, you can write me. But that is a scary thought. And it still exists. And there are millions of little things like that that work against Black people being able to rise up. You can be as positive. You can pull up your big girl panties. You can put on your big girl shoes and boots, like all those platitudes. You can try to live the American dream. But if there are rules and regulations that are instilled in our country that say, you, black girl, you will never be a politician in Georgia. We can't get better. We can't heal as a country. And that's why Joe and Jane, white person who thinks that Black Lives Matter isn't a matter, it affects you. It affects all of us. That's why systemic racism is a thing. It's very different to say the whole entire country is racist and to say there is systemic racism. You, me, we weren't alive when they put those rules into place, but we're alive now and we suffer because of it. And so here we are with Joe Biden, a president willing to say the words systemic racism and racism, and it's okay. We have never been in that place. You've heard me say it before. I think that Trump was a response to Barack Obama. Our country took a collective like, what? We have a black president? Like, yes, people voted for him, but there was always that small percentage that was like, what? And so we got Trump. And now we have Biden. And even then, back when we had Barack Obama, we couldn't say too many things about racism because that meant the black president was trying to work and do only things for black people. I think Joe Biden is the best president that we could have in this situation because he's got experience, he's got knowledge, he's got wisdom. And we can make jokes all day about how old he is but he has seized the moment. And yes, there are a lot of things that we can talk about that have nothing to do with race. I'm just telling you from my perspective. I tuned into, tuned into, I was looking at my Facebook page and Rand Paul, the, I don't even know if he's a Republican or an independent, but he's to the right. He said, did you hear that speech from Biden yesterday calling us all racists and people who don't tell the truth? This is what I mean, people. If you are not racist, then this doesn't apply. Move on. Not everyone in the United States of America is racist, and no one is saying that you are. We don't know everybody. We can't even say that. But it's a problem that needs to be addressed. I can't change your heart if you don't want your heart changed, but we can change the system when there is systemic racism. And Joe Biden brought that up yesterday. And we had this glorious moment yesterday where we can say racism and not feel that guilt and shame that I have felt my entire life. 
Do you know that I used to not be able to put Black Lives Matter on my Facebook page because everybody would come back with, but all lives matter. I've since deleted those people. And if anybody else has that to say, they're out. I don't care how long I've known them. If you want to have a discussion, we want to talk about it, sure. But I don't want to see it. If you can't take the time to understand it, there's no point. Yesterday was glorious for so many reasons. And I'm just picking this one piece because it mattered to see this shift in our country. Is everything that's wrong with our country based in racism? No. But a component of what happened on January 6th in that in the, the people's house, that marauding group of thugs, part of that is racism. But so much of it is just pure anti-Americanism which is another thing I want to bring up. I heard this politician today say, and she's a new uh, Republican, I think she's a congresswoman out of, I can't remember if it was South Carolina or North Carolina. Her last name was Mace, M-A-C-E. And she's like, well, you know, I want to give Joe Biden a a chance, but of course we're going to disagree on 80% of everything. I'm like, okay, wow, way to give him a chance. But yes, we will disagree. But you know, we have to acknowledge, kept saying that, we have to acknowledge that, yes, there are going to be people who are, you know, still Trump supporters, and that's their right. I'm like, wait a minute, that's their right? We need to look at that. It's not your right to be a Trump supporter. It just isn't. If you are anti-American and you're trying to tear down this union, that's not something that we need to acknowledge and accept and just kind of let be. Like what? You can be the most conservative, conservative, conservative man or woman in the world. You can believe in, you know, people carrying guns to work and to schools. You can believe that we should have prayer in every school, that prayer should be posted at the grocery store, that everyone should say, God bless you when I check out at the line and target. You can believe all kinds of extremely conservative stuff as long as you still want this country to be whole. But the minute you attack us, like those thugs did on January 6th, that's not a political belief. That's not conservatism. That is a traitor. Plain and simple. So we need to stuff out the tr- snuff out the Trumpism. It's okay if you still believe in Kevin McCarthy or I can't even say some of these people's names, the Rand Pauls and the the, the conservative right people, but the anti-American Josh Hollies and Ted Cruz's and, and Donald Trump's? Nope. We are a union. And yes, we are divided. But the, it, it's almost like if you are in a marriage And one party is like, I love you, honey. You're the most amazing person. You have problems, but I love you and I want to stay married. And then in this case, in my example, the husband is like, yeah, I love you, but I don't want this union. I want to tear it apart. I don't like how it's run. I'm going to work against it. That marriage would fail. You can't just accept it. That would be foolish for a wife to say, well, my husband really doesn't like me. He wishes I would change everything about me. He doesn't even want me in the house, but I'm going to stay married to him. That would be lunacy. 
That's the same as trying to accept these Trump supporters. And again, there's a difference between people who are just conservative who happen to believe Trump, which God help us, and people who want to tear apart this country. We can't just let that be. This country is flawed, right? We learned that yesterday. I mean, we know that, but the way that Amanda Gorman said, we are not broken, we're just unfinished. It's not perfect, but we're trying to form the more perfect union. They said that too yesterday. But we cannot let this Trumpism continue. There were so many beautiful things that were said when Joe Biden talked about how he's going to work just as hard for people who didn't vote for him as those who did. You would never hear that from Trump. Never. He's talking about things, about making changes, about focusing on COVID in a way that Trump never did. Maybe we can finally combat this garbage and get back to normal and get people back to work. There was so much in his speech yesterday, and it was glorious. And I am running out of time. Hang on, stay with me. I'll be right back. Welcome back again. So the um, the software in the Anchor app allows me to do, I think, 30-minute segments each. So we had to take a little bit of break there. But I want to conclude. <clears throat> and as I said, I knew I was going to go over today because there's so much to say. I want to conclude and I want to make sure that I hit this point home. Two things. And we'll get into the second one in just a second. But the first one is, I am completely aware that racism is not the only problem in the United States. And I don't want it ever to be seen that way. We've got a lot of issues. COVID, poverty, climate change, all kinds of things. Violence. I mean, the list goes on. But I wanted to really bookmark this moment in history. because. It was a beautiful thing to see people of all races take part in this event yesterday. And that's happened in the past, don't get me wrong. But to see this rock star in Amanda Gorman, to see, I think she was a naval officer and she did the Pledge of Allegiance in sign language and in spoken word. And I I don't know what her race was, but she had tannish skin. And to see all different types of people, Jewish, black, white, gay, straight, Pete Buttigieg is incredible. I'm so happy he's going to be part of the campaign. Amy Klobuchar, I mentioned her. She's a white woman and I'm just inspired by her. So I never want it to be thought of that racism is the only thing that we need to be worried about in this country. And that's all that I focus on. I'm just sharing my experience and how glorious it was to hear racism talked about without the shame, without the fear of people saying, well, finger pointing, what are you saying? Everybody's racist, what are you trying to take from me? It was just, let's deal with it. We are still the divided states of America. There's nothing you can do to change some people's minds. But yesterday was like a renewal and a rebirth and a chance 
to start anew, a chance to just really get busy at the business of being Americans again. And it's beautiful no matter what your race, no matter what your religion, no matter what your political belief, even if you don't agree, I think there's good things out there, good things ahead for you, the Trump supporter, the the reasonable Trump supporters. I think we're going to see some really amazing, positive changes in this country in the coming years. And I'm so glad that Joe Biden is at the helm. He's a decent man. He's going to make mistakes. He's going to do things that we don't like. He's going to do things at a speed we probably don't like or maybe a speed that we do like. But we have a chance now. A chance to get started all over again and put the Trump stuff behind us. The second thing I want to really make a point about is, and I want to pull it up here on my phone. Hang on one second. As I was feeling glorious and joyful this morning, I woke up and I'm like, it's a brand new day. (laughs) It was all true. It wasn't a dream. I was so excited. And I still am. But let me find this here. But I saw this post from one of my Trump supporting, I guess I could call her a friend. I knew her from childhood. Um, We grew up together and we were friendly. But Um, we're just Facebook friends now. We don't even live in the same state. And I'm going to, she posted this and I'll I'll read a little bit of it because it's rather long. But first she said, and it's a repost, but she said, this is just a reminder to myself in the future, not because I'm wanting any comments, which that right there, this is one of those, like, I'm just putting this out there and I don't want to hear from you. Okay. It's your right. It's your page. But that's a really, I think a snarky way Like, really, if you need to remind yourself, then write yourself a sticky note. But whatever. She's making her point. And again, I'll read a little bit of this. It says, Trump-Biden transition. I am making this post so it will show back up as a future memory on my timeline. Today is eight days after uh, Biden Electoral College confirmation. Diesel price is blah, blah, blah. Gas price is blah, blah, blah. And uh, the interest rates are blah, blah, blah. The, the, mor- the 30-year mortgage rate is the stock market closed at. We've had COVID, ele- uh, COVID for 11 months. The GOP growth third quarter was whatever percentage. We had the best economic year until COVID. We are recovering and it's recovering well. Um, we ha- we have not had any news of war or conflicts in the last four years. North Korea has been under control and has not been testing any missiles. ISIS has not been heard from for over three years. The housing market is the strongest it's been in years. Homes have appreciated at an unbelievable rate, and there has been and peace deals in the Middle East. And let's see, unemployment is 6.7% in spite of COVID. Biden takes over January 20th. And now when I read that, I was like, so that's what matters to her. And I will say she is of the Caucasian persuasion, excuse me, blonde hair, blue eyes, lives in Texas. 
And I was saddened by that because nowhere in there was 400,000 dead people. COVID was mentioned like a little side note, 400,000. This is what my post would say. 400,000 plus dead people a year into this disease, this, this virus, terrible president, terrible control, people denied, people not wearing masks. Yeah, gas prices are good. I would also talk about, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of black men shot, innocent black people shot. I would talk about how black lives seemingly don't matter. Systemic racism. I would talk about how women are still not getting equal pay. I would talk about how mental illness is on the rise. Suicide is on the rise. Our veterans are killing themselves at an exponential rate. Alcoholism on the rise. Drug abuse on the rise. Oh, let's not forget um, the, what do you call it? The, the benzos and the opioid epidemic on the rise. This is what I would talk about. Yes, my house mortgage rate may be better, and I might mention that too, of course. But all of these issues that matter, I'm just shocked that none of that is listed in there. It's almost like if you had a 10-car pileup on the highway, and there's dead people spewed all over the street, you know, glass and broken pieces of cars and bent metal, and there's smoke still and steaming from this 10-car pileup. People are dead and maimed and injured. But you want to talk about how the traffic is flowing on the other side of the highway and how people are able to drive around that stuff and get on with their lives. How you post something like that, and COVID is just like this little thing that's in the way, showed me everything I needed to know. This person is a former military. I don't know. I think she was in the Navy. Nothing about how veterans are not getting what they deserve. They're not getting the health care that they deserve. They don't get the respect and treatment. More veterans, homeless, living on the streets how the elderly are dying and being treated like, eh, they're expendable. How the United States of America, the most powerful country in the world, has the highest rate of COVID and COVID deaths of any industrialized country. No mention. As long as the diesel prices and the stock market, which by the way, the stock market does not represent us. The stock market represents the two percenters, not even one percent. Yes, them too, but the one, two, three, four percenters. That's not a direct example of who we are and how financially stable we are. That's the bullcrap that Trump has sold us. And when I read that, I was going to say something on her Facebook. And I was like, no, 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 no. Because I wanted to ask her a question. That's what I was going to put. I was going to say, can I ask you a question about this privately? Can we DM? And I thought, nope, don't do it. Because she can't be convinced. If you can post something like that after four years of Trump garbage and after what happened at the people's house, which I would add that too, you know, it's December, it's, it's January 20, whatever, and 21st, and the people's house still has broken glass. The people's house still has spray paint on it. Donald Trump still got away with insurrection. You want to talk about diesel prices? 
Now, don't get me wrong. It matters how much gas is. It affects us. It matters if people can afford to buy houses. But to leave those things out, that's how we're a divided country. Because Black Lives Matter doesn't matter to her. How many people dying from COVID, as long as it's not her people, doesn't matter to her. Veterans committing suicide, not even a thought. My husband's a retired army major, and I care deeply about what happens to our vets. Black, white, gay, straight, I don't care. They're not being treated with the respect they need to be treated with. No mention. So this is what we're up against, folks. People who didn't see and still don't see the destruction of Trump. And she's a regular person, regular mom, regular job, would never go and beat down the, the, the Capitol building doors. She's just a regular person, but this is her post. So while you and I were celebrating this glorious day, that's what she's thinking. While you and I were going, this is our chance to breathe a sigh of relief, to get over our PTSD, our post-Trump stress disorder. It's going to take a minute. Like, I'm not even joking. It's going to take a moment. When we got to listen to this beautiful poem and see hope, when we got to feel the grace of Garth Brooks' song, when we got to really hear and understand the spirit of Joe Biden's speech, this beautiful, beautiful day. She missed it. She missed it. And she's sticking her thumb in our eye and saying, what about mortgage rates? We can do both, folks. We can walk and talk and chew gum at the same time. We can officially impeach and convict Donald Trump, and we can focus on COVID. We can wear a mask and live our lives. We can feed the homeless and get on with the process of being a human being and thinking about gas prices and thinking about mortgage rates. Because it's all intermingled. Peace in the Middle East? I don't know what where she's been paying attention. There's no peace in the Middle East. There was peace in the Middle East on September 10th, 2001 until there wasn't. China and Russia interfered with our election. That is an attack on the United States. That's not peace in any other foreign countries, but no mention of that. There are some great things that Trump did. I don't know what they are. I can, tell, I can honestly tell you, but there are some things. Some things happen in spite of him. But to make that post, is to miss the full experience of life. We are all connected, whether you're gay or straight or trans, whether you believe in climate change or you don't, whether you believe in guns or you don't, whether you believe in religion or you don't, whether you think black lives matter or you don't, we are all connected. And you cannot separate it. That's what Trump tried to do. He tried to say, uh, COVID is just a side thing. Let's get back to the country doing the business of the country. If people can't work, you can't. If people can't live, you can't. If people can't breathe, you can't. 
And that's what I saw yesterday. I saw hope. I saw the ability to start to be able to breathe again. For all of us to take that sigh, like, but also for people to get on with their lives, for us to get the vaccine out to people so they can get off ventilators and so we can get vaccinated and get back to us. We will probably remain the divided states of America, but in the meantime, democracy is back. Empathy is back. Respect for the office is back. From Dr. Jill Biden, in comparison to what Melania attempted to do, all the way up to Joe. And I know I went over today, and maybe I shouldn't have made this episode so long, and I know I don't want this show to only be about politics, but this wasn't about politics today. It's about humanity. It's about human beings and human doings, right? There's a saying that says we need to stop, always be human doings. I'm doing this, I'm busy, I'm going, and just be a human being. All of us, rich, poor, black, white, Asian, Native American, Latino, gay, straight, trans, bi, non-binary, all of us. And I enjoyed that day yesterday as I flew across this country and the tears fell to my cheeks because I saw somebody who believed that too, that we are all connected and that we can do this. And I'm grateful. It's not gonna be easy. There are gonna be problems, there are gonna be flaws, but I am grateful. Yesterday was a day I won't soon forget. I don't think most of us will. It was beautiful, seeing all the posts on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, joy, jubilation, happiness, it was beautiful. And I'm grateful for it. That's my story and I'm sticking to it.